Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. The Peanut app helps women connect across all stages of life, and it's a safe space to meet women nearby and have conversations about meaningful topics from sex and relationships to IVF, pregnancy, first years of parenting, midlife, and beyond. Whether you are navigating fertility, pregnancy, motherhood, or menopause, the app provides access to a community that is there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. I know that when I was going through various pivotal stages and milestones in my own life, community and connection with other women are essential to keeping me feeling grounded and seen. And that is why I'm so glad you get to have access to all of Peanut's great resources, whether you're in a stage of your pregnancy journey or you're a new mom, or you're simply hoping to connect with others who can validate and relate to the challenges that you're going through. And you can find me on Peanut and search for my very own group called Sexuality and Relationships with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. You can download the Peanut app for free from your app store of choice or head to peanut.app.link slash reimagininglove. The link can also be found in the show notes of this episode. That's peanut.app.link slash reimagininglove. Welcome back to Reimagining Love. I tell you what, I loved our July break. It was well-timed in all kinds of ways, but I am also really glad to be back with you. I'm not giving you any kind of gentle warm-up. We're just diving into a big topic. And you know the deal. The first episode of the month is a solo deep dive into a relationship dynamic. So here we are. And in this episode, we are going to begin to unpack the question, should I stay or should I go? So we are talking about relational ambivalence. And because this topic is so big and so important and so common across listener questions and client concerns and my students' concerns, because it's such a big, important topic, 
we have decided to create a two-part series. So you are listening now to part one, and then we will drop part two next week. Here's the overview of what I'm going to cover in this episode. First, I'm going to define and operationalize ambivalence, and I'm going to propose and argue that relational ambivalence is a relational process. In other words, ambivalence is a feeling that lives inside of one partner, but it plays out in the space between partners. And I'm going to also give you three relational self-awareness questions designed to help you understand that idea a bit more deeply. Next, I'm going to offer you some ideas about why relational ambivalence might be more common and more upsetting these days. And then finally, I'm going to invite you into a different perspective on patience and offer you some tools for how to work with patients. As a little preview, in next week's episode, I'm going to talk you through seven practices that can help you move from stuck to clear. And as we often do on Reimagining Love, we're going to be sharing a handout that accompanies the series in next week's newsletter. So if you are not subscribed yet to my newsletter, make sure that you click the link in the show notes to join. So three things I want you to keep in mind as you listen. Number one, this is a huge topic. And as always, I trust that you are going to take what lands for you and you're going to leave the rest. If you know my work by now, you know that I am not going to tell you what to do. There's no point in this episode where I'm going to say, if you feel X, Y, and Z, you should break up. But if you feel A, B, and C, you should stay. I'm not going to do that. You're probably never going to get that out of me. What you will get is over the course of this episode and the next episode, I'm going to give you perspectives, points of reflection, little bits of research, and practices that are designed to help you loosen the stuckness, understand the stuckness, shift the stuckness, and help you create more clarity and ease and decisiveness inside of yourself. Point number two, ambivalence is a feeling that can arise at any point along a relationship journey. But when I was doing my research for this episode, I was thinking specifically about these three scenarios. I'm early in dating someone, but I don't know whether or not I want to become exclusive. I've been dating someone for a while, but I just don't know if this relationship is enough for me. And I'm partnered or I'm married, but I don't know if I want to stay in this relationship. Those are the three scenarios I was imagining as I created this content knowing full well that each of these scenarios presents a radically different landscape in terms of the risks, the benefits, and the thresholds and consequences for either staying or leaving. Just like your age, your gender, your relationship history, right? Any crossroads that you are at is determined by so many factors, which is why, again, my goal for you in this episode is that you are going to take what feels helpful and you're going to leave the rest And you're going to feel a ton of freedom to adapt this content to your situation. The third thing I want you to keep in mind, which uh, you've heard me say before, that I'm going to be talking about relationship dynamics that fall into the quote unquote normative range. I'm not talking about situations of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, 
physical abuse. In situations of abuse, the question of should I stay or should I go is massively complicated by trauma, potentially by dependence, and certainly by the need for safety planning. Let's move now into defining and operationalizing relational ambivalence. I want us to be really clear on what I'm talking about. So therefore, (laughs) I went in search of some really good definitions of ambivalence. What exactly is ambivalence, right? That's what we're talking about here with this. Should I stay or should I go? We're talking about ambivalence. So here's what I found in an academic article written by Palmberger in 2019. Ambivalence is, quote, simultaneous and contradictory attitudes or feelings, such as attraction and repulsion towards an object, a person, or an action. Ambivalence is, quote, continual fluctuation as between one thing and its opposite. Ambivalence is, quote, uncertainty as to which approach to follow. What this means is, what we're saying here is, ambivalence is an emotional, cognitive, and behavioral oscillation between I'm in and I want this and I'm out and I don't want this. It's an internal tug of war. Here's where I'm going to get tricky on you. Although we're defining ambivalence as an internal experience, an internal tug of war, ambivalence has relational consequences. What happens inside of me impacts the we. That's the heart of relational self-awareness, isn't it? Relational self-awareness is about getting curious about how our thoughts and our feelings and the behaviors that emerge from our thoughts and our feelings affect our partner and affect the dynamic between us. So relational ambivalence is a felt experience within me that plays out between us. I'm stressing this point because I think it can be so easy to miss. What might be keeping you from viewing your ambivalence as a relational dynamic? Let me plant a few possibilities on you, right? Because I think what often happens is it feels like I'm ambivalent, right? I'm just thinking, I'm back and forth. I don't know, I don't know. But what I'm highlighting for you is that there's relational impact of feeling ambivalent. Why might this be a new idea for you? What might be keeping you from seeing your ambivalence as a relational dynamic? Here are some possibilities. One, Perhaps you've lost sight of the fact that ambivalence plays out relationally because you have internalized some sneaky and pervasive cultural beliefs about love. We tend to approach our romantic relationships in a highly individualistic way. Either I choose you or I don't choose you, right? So when I hear somebody saying that they're trying to figure out whether the person they're dating, quote, checks all the boxes, it's like nails on the chalkboard for me. Relational self-awareness is all about dynamics and dances, the kind of love story that the two of us would write together. Marriage and family therapist, Dr. Bill Doherty says that we bring a consumer mentality into our romantic relationships these days. We sort of approach it like, what have you done for me lately? And when we approach a relationship in that way, it makes sense that we lose sight of the fact that my ambivalence affects you. You're sensitive to it. You tune into it. You pick up that I'm not 
fully invested and that affects it, right? If I have a highly individualistic approach to our relationship, what I'm focusing on is, am I getting what I need? Are you ticking the boxes? What do you add to my life? And so I might miss the fact that it's actually a relational dynamic. The second reason that you might be missing the fact that ambivalence is a relational process is it may be that you are feeling so stuck and so unsure of how to proceed that your stuckness is creating negative thoughts about yourself. You might be feeling so disempowered and so down on yourself that you lose sight of the fact that how you show up shapes the dynamic. You actually perhaps are losing sight of your power, how much influence you have on the space between you and your partner because the experience of being stuck, the experience of being uncertain is kicking up some feelings of shame, some questions around self-worth, like what's wrong with me that I can't decide if I want this relationship or not. Third, related to this, but a little bit of a layer deeper, it may be that you have lost sight of how your ambivalence is affecting the relationship dynamic because perhaps your core wound is that you are at risk of just fearing or feeling unimportant. And this wound perhaps originated in your family of origin dynamic in which your caregivers perhaps were otherwise occupied with their own mental health challenges, with work stresses, with addiction, with relationship drama, whatever. And the impact on you today is that when you feel ambivalent about whether to stay or go, you're blind to the fact that your absence would matter to your partner. And perhaps you're blind to the fact that your partner is likely noticing the behavioral manifestations of your ambivalence. (laughs) Okay, that's a lot. You might need to rewind and listen to that part again. But I'm just planting some seeds around why might it be a little bit of a bridge for you to start to get your head around the idea that being ambivalent lives inside of you, but it affects the dynamic. Let's get a little bit more concrete. So let's think about two sample sequences that highlight that ambivalence arising inside an individual affects the dynamic. Sequence one, I feel ambivalent. I'm not sure if I want to stay with you or break up with you. This leads me to retreat or to hesitate on making plans or to take a while to respond to your texts. And now you notice that and you react to my hesitation by retreating. When you retreat, I start to code you as unavailable, not invested. And that leads me to, in fact, become more ambivalent. So there's the cycle. That's a cycle. It's a sequence. Sequence two goes like this. I feel ambivalent. I'm not sure whether I want to stay with you or break up with you. This leads me to become hypercritical of you because I'm focusing on, I'm scanning you all the time to try to figure out, you know, am I getting what I need? Am I not getting what I need? The more I scan you and kind of criticize you and focus on these like micro moments that we're experiencing, the more you become critical or defensive or shut down. And the more you do that, the more I code you as hostile or unavailable. And then the more I feel ambivalent. So those are two sequences, right? Two examples of how this ambivalence may play out. 
And finally, I want to point out that there's a relationship between investment and ambivalence. The less I invest in the relationship, the more ambivalent I feel. And then the more ambivalent I feel, the less I invest in the relationship. This is hard though, right? The paradox here is that full investment, full accountability, full effort on your part may actually be a more efficient route to clarity. If you're taking full responsibility for your side of the street, so to speak, it may be the case that you will be better able to discern the next step that feels good and right for you. I want you to see what happens when you start to look at relational ambivalence as a dynamic, as a dance between you and your partner. Here are those three relational self-awareness questions that you can ask yourself. These will appear in the handout that you're going to get next week if you're a newsletter subscriber. Relational self-awareness question number one is, what might I be avoiding talking about with my partner because I'm not sure if I'm staying or going? Question two, if I felt fully invested in this relationship, what would I be doing differently? Question three, if someone asked my partner about my level of commitment, how would my partner respond? What would be the cues or the clues or the tells that my partner might be using to assess my level of commitment? Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to move now to part two. Why is relational ambivalence more common these days? So lately, I have been inundated with this question of should I stay or should I go? It comes to me from clients, from students, listeners, from followers. So for sure, the reason that this question of stay or go is happening is reflective of a number of factors, right? It's multiply determined, as psychologists say. But I have some ideas about why this feeling of relational stuckness might be more common than ever right now. We're going to do biggest picture, tighter picture, tightest picture. Biggest picture. Many of you have heard me talk about what I call the role to soul shift in relationships. The fact that our model of intimate relationships has largely shifted from a role to role structure to a soul to soul structure. Historically, relationships have been highly role-bound arrangements. What it meant to be a good husband or a good wife was very clearly defined. And by the way, I use the words husband and wife intentionally because when we're talking about role-bound 
relationship structures, we're talking about heterosexuality being assumed and normative and the only way to be. It's one of the reasons why the shift from role-bound relationships to soul relationships is so vitally important, right? Because it creates a possibility for diverse and inclusive relationships. But when intimate relationships were role-to-role arrangements, as long as he was providing and she was tending the home and the children, people were pretty much good to go. There wasn't a ton for people to complain about. I love that we have raised the bar. I love that we are wanting and needing soul-to-soul relationships. I love that we want to be seen and heard and understood in our relationships. I love that we want our partner to celebrate our uniqueness and that we want to witness and support our partner's evolution. I am a thousand percent here for all of that, but it is a radically elevated set of expectations. And it means that we have to be willing to put in the work. We have to be willing to practice relational self-awareness. It also means that we can feel more easily confused about the viability of the relationship. As Esther Perel says, historically, we have asked, am I happy here? And today we ask, could I be happier somewhere else? These are very different questions. And the question that we tend to ask today, could I be happier somewhere else, can set us up to experience relational ambivalence. We are living through a time of questioning and deconstructing so many institutions like healthcare, like criminal justice, like education, etc. We're asking questions of these institutions like, who was this institution built to serve? Whose interests does this institution protect? Whose needs are not being taken into account and why? Therefore, it makes total sense to me that we are asking the same questions about the institutions of intimacy, specifically sexual monogamy and marriage, right? We're asking those questions about monogamy and marriage. Who was this institution built to serve? Whose interests are being protected here? Whose needs are not being considered or take into account. Why? So I'm here to keep supporting people loving each other in ways that feel nourishing and right for them. I'm also going to keep imagining ways in which sexual monogamy and marriage can be done in ways that are deeply inclusive and that are built on equality and relational self-awareness. But it makes sense that if we're asking those big questions about those institutions, it makes sense that it can be harder to commit, harder to feel clear. Do I want this in my life? Do I not want this in my life? So in addition to wondering, is this person the person I want to build a life with? We may also be asking the question, is this structure of marriage, of monogamy, of striving for lifelong commitment, is a structure even one that I want? So just reminding us that the stakes are high And the questions are big, certainly bigger than the questions that our grandmas and our grandpas were asking. And then here is our tightest picture, right? So our big picture was the role to soul shift. Our tighter picture has to do with living through a time of questioning institutions. And our tightest picture is the fact that we are living through a time of massive collective trauma in the form of a global pandemic 
and the enormous blast radius that has resulted from that. A crisis is a turning point. I have every confidence that every single one of us are going to divide our life stories into the time before COVID and the time after COVID, whatever the hell that means, right? For some of us, we're going to divide our lives up that way because we experienced the immensely personal trauma of losing somebody that we loved or because we served on the front lines during those early critical months. But for all of us, we experienced disruption and uncertainty and all of the thoughts and feelings and shifts in the sense of self that go along with disruption and uncertainty. Living through a pandemic affects our intimate relationships. There's just no getting around that. In fact, research from prior disasters has found that when there are collective crises with protracted periods of recovery, you see a spike in both the marriage rate and the divorce rate. It's as if some people say, life is too short to languish in a relationship that is just okay. And other people say, life is too short to mess around with casual relationships. I want to go all in. A few months ago, I gathered some data on Instagram. You know, I love to do my little finger on the pulse data gathering on Instagram. It is uh, not scientifically rigorous in any way, shape, or form, but it does give these really unique, important windows into what people are experiencing. So I did a little, a little sticker and I heard from nearly 2,000 people from around the world. And I asked them about major life changes that they had experienced during the first two years of the pandemic. What I heard back is this. 29% of people experienced a big move as defined by another city, another state, another country. Okay, fine. 47% experienced a job change. Not surprising, right? There's been lots of thought pieces written about the great resignation and all of the massive upheaval in the world of work. But check this out. 54% of people experienced a change in their relationship status. And of that 54%, 38% went from single to partnered or married. 62% went from partnered or married to single or divorced. And 70% reported that they went through more than one relationship status change over the course of those first two years of the pandemic. Bottom line is there is a ton of flux. And when I think about why relational ambivalence and struggles with commitment might be more common during this time of large systemic upheaval, I think about the fact that commitment is antithetical to uncertainty, right? Commitment is antithetical to uncertainty. In the face of uncertainty, our urge may be to remain agile, not tied down, able to pivot and adapt and respond quickly. And there's no getting around the fact that intimate partnership slows us down. We're making decisions for two. What I choose affects you. What you need affects me. Our fates are entwined. And that is an absolutely lovely part of commitment that sense that you have someone in the trenches with you. But it's also a heavy part of commitment and one that can feel like a burden during a time of upheaval. 
So it may just be the case that it's actually harder to become and stay committed at a time like this. Another feature of the global pandemic that likely affects our love lives is the experience that we all have had of immense decision fatigue. Is it safe to gather? Should I travel? Can I see my grandmother? Do I return to work or do I look for a job where I can be hybrid or remote? Should we eat indoors or outdoors? And 10,000 more decisions that we all have made. It may be the case that in part you are struggling in your intimate relationship because it is hard to decide whether to stay or go because you are just tapped out on making decisions. A little part right? That's, that's clearly not accounting for 100% of your relational ambivalence by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it can be really easy to lose sight of just exactly what we all have lived through. So keep open the possibility that part of what makes it hard to decide what the heck you want is because you are just so tired of making decisions. The last thing I want to say about the pandemic is that the experience of a collision between the problems of the world out there and your little old life over here is a new experience for people who have lived with privilege. The nature of privilege is that it acts like a shield. It protects people from feeling the impact of larger systemic problems. The pandemic has destroyed that shield. For sure, people who occupy one or more marginalized identities have borne the brunt of the pandemic, for sure, for sure, for sure. But at the same time, the pandemic has left no one's life untouched. And if you have lived for decades with the sense that the problems of the world happen over there and my life happens over here, the experience of global crisis being right in front of your face is actually quite disorienting. And I would argue that it may feel especially disorienting to reckon with the fact that the pandemic has affected your love life. I had a graduate student whose wedding date had changed because of the pandemic. And she said to me, in no world could I have ever imagined that my wedding date would change. It was disorienting to her to have to pivot because of a global crisis. Disorientation affects our emotions and it affects our relationship dynamics. I cannot tell you how many hours I've spent in couples therapy over the last two plus years sitting with the question, what's me, what's you, what's COVID? And although we can never, ever figure out the exact precise answer to that question with 100% certainty, what I'm reminding you here is that the context matters and the context matters a lot. The context helps us be compassionate and patient with ourselves and each other. The context helps us have a bit more grace when things feel hard or unclear. And before we wrap that part up, just a little FYI, that what I was saying just now about the pandemic is something that Esther Perel and I talked about in more depth in episode one of Reimagining Love. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it for you. Okay, we are in the home stretch here. We're moving on to the third part of this episode which is offering you some perspectives on patience. It's really hard to be in a place of uncertainty. It's stressful. It's emotionally taxing. 
And as I mentioned earlier, it can affect your sense of self-esteem or your self-confidence. It can lead, being stuck, feeling uncertain can create negative self-talk, negative experiences of who you are as a person. So I want to invite you to remember that if you are in a relationship and you are not actively choosing to leave, you are choosing to stay. In not making a decision to leave, you are staying for now, for today. I want you to see what happens if you reframe your staying as a choice. Rather than stuck, you are currently in. This reframe can help you remember that you are, in fact, the protagonist in the story of your life. You have agency as evidenced by the fact that you remain in the relationship. That is a kind of choice. There's a beautiful quote from the French sculptor, Auguste Rodin. Patience is also a form of action. Patience is also a form of action. Hmm. So see what happens if you view your staying as an act of patience. This means that perhaps the opposite of relational ambivalence is not certainty, but patience. Patience is a grace I want to invite you to offer yourself, one that is important for either ultimate outcome and one that is important whether you're currently leaning towards staying or leaning towards going. The process of moving from confused to clear is guaranteed to teach you something regardless of whether you end up deciding the relationship has to end or whether you decide that you want to invest more. Allowing yourself to engage in a process of inquiry and self-reflection about the experience of being stuck, confused, and uncertain, that process is going to teach you something about yourself, about the relationship, and about what it is to be human. So see what happens inside of you when you consider this reframe on patience. What do you feel inside your body? Where do you feel it? Take it a step further and check in with yourself. Are there particular stories that you attach to the idea of patience? What are your stories and your associations to the idea of patience? Where might those stories come from? You can try it this way. Complete this sentence. People who are patient are dot, dot, dot. People who are patient are dot, dot, dot. If you complete that sentence in a critical way, people who are patient are weak or they're self-abandoning or they get taken advantage of. Hmm, That's interesting, right? Check in. Why the negative association with the idea of patience? Whose voice is that? Where might that story or that idea or that connection come from, from your prior experiences, from your experience, perhaps in your family of origin? You can take this a step further and write a letter to yourself about why you are staying the course. I'm talking about literally sitting down and writing a letter. Dear self, I am staying in this relationship for now because dot, dot, dot. Write it out. See what comes up. 
In writing a letter to yourself, you might find it helpful to do something that I call widening the lens of progress. When you write about why you're staying in the relationship, take some time to reflect on where the relationship stands now versus six months ago, where the relationship stands now versus a year ago. Sometimes when a moment or a chapter is painful, we can tend to get a bit myopic. We can sort of tighten up our lens and focus currently on our present pain, losing sight of the bigger picture. And that bigger picture might be that the trend line is going up. When you widen the lens of progress, you might see that the two of you are more committed than you were six months ago, or that you are handling moments of upset with more compassion and more care than you were a year ago. This certainly might not be the case, right? Perhaps when you widen out the lens, what you see is that the trend line is you know, going down. But in planting the seed, and planting the seed that perhaps you're missing some important data that if you looked over a larger span of time, you might see that there actually have been victories and there is progress and that may help you feel a bit clearer. Writing a letter to yourself might be illuminating. So write mindfully and without expectation. See what happens when you engage in the process without attachment to any particular outcome, without a pressure that you have to build a case for yourself one way or the other, mindfully, without expectation. Something else I want to add in here around patience is that sometimes when I'm in a conversation with a client or a student who has made the choice to leave the relationship, but it took them a while to get there, sometimes that person will say, ugh, why did I wait so long? Or they'll say, I wasted so much time. When I get the chance to be in conversation with somebody, and that's what they're saying, I encourage them to not beat themselves up for the time they spent in confusion or stuckness. Because perhaps they needed to hang in there for a while to feel their way into a decision. Perhaps they needed to practice patience in order to reach the decision that they ultimately made. And perhaps they could not have come to that decision any sooner than they did. If you're in this spot, and if you know darn well, you're the kind of person who's at risk of beating yourself up for quote unquote wasted time, I would love to invite you to include in your letter to self something that goes like this. I am committed to not beating myself up for the time that I spent feeling stuck. And if and when I notice that I'm beating myself up, I promise to practice self-compassion and I promise to try to remember to trust my process. The final quote I'm going to leave you with is from an unknown source. And it says, patience is waiting while working. Patience is waiting while working. You certainly have worked by listening to this episode and you are going to work by allowing this content to settle inside of you over the coming days. And then you and I are going to pick up our work in next week's episode, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Getting Unstuck from Relational Ambivalence. So thank you for joining me today. Be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? 
follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.